Welcome to the I Believe Podcast, an Acure Insight production, brought to you by Castle Biosciences. I'm your host, Danae Peterson, a fellow ocular melanoma survivor. Here on the podcast, we'll be sharing information and insights on treatments, research, and living with ocular melanoma. Castle Biosciences tests are designed to provide clinicians precise and personalized tumor information for the benefit of patient care. If you would like more information about how Castle is transforming the treatment of eye cancer, visit castletestinfo.com. Good morning. Thank you so much for coming. Those of you who aren't from Seattle, thanks for making the trip to Seattle to be with us. We've never been in Seattle before, so we're so excited. I want to thank all of our sponsors for making this possible. To have this wonderful room and the wonderful food is all made possible by sponsorship from our pharmaceutical companies. So please give them a round of applause. I'm Melody. From, I'm the president of Acure Insight. We have with us um, Lauren Seaman, our vice president in the back. Marlene and, Marlene and Suzanne are not with us today. They weren't able to come due to some family commitments. We have um, Kevin O'Neill as part of our medical and research board and Jack O'Dell. There's Jack O'Dell. They are the ones that vet our research and make sure that we're using your research money wisely and, promote, and using it for research that is productive and um, will we'll hopefully send research forward and not just stall. So that's what we're doing um, on the research side right now. Um, I just want to let everybody know that we are going to be in this room all day today. And if you have any questions or anything, please let us know. We'll, we'll, all of us will be around here to help you. Do you want to do Stacy now? Yeah. Um, Dr. Okay, we're going to bring Dr. Stacy up right now. Dr. Stacy is our host physician from Fred Hutch and University of Washington. Nice to meet you. Good morning, everybody. It's really great to be here. Thank you, Melody. Um, Melody is, is a force. I've been working with her for a number of months to get this started. She's always so responsive, and it's kind of a passion for her, and it's uh, inspiring to see this all come to fruition. Um, I'm really excited to have this meeting in Seattle. Acure Insight has been a big part of our program here at the University of Washington for as long as I've been here. Um, and I've spoken at this meeting before, and it's, it's a fantastic meeting for all of our patients. Um, something that I've realized, having been in the physician side of the ocular melanoma world and not in the patient side, is how important the community of ocular melanoma is. Um, and I didn't realize that during my training. I didn't realize that until I started practicing how important the community is. And so I really am delighted to have this here in Seattle. I'm delighted to have the community here, and I'm glad that you are all part of it and that you are making this a place where our patients can feel welcome. I know that many of you have been in this world for a number of years, and it, you may forget how important it is to welcome in the new patients. Uh, every day, I'm gonna go back to clinic today. I'm gonna diagnose more people with ocular melanoma, and it, You'll remember it's a, it's a whirlwind when it happens. You, you don't remember anything the doctor said, right? You, you go into surgery, you're going to all this stuff. You can't process anything. And then to 
to be ushered into a group or a community where questions can be answered and where you can meet people who've gone through the same thing, who've gone through radiation or gone through surgery and gone through the same thing, it has been so important for our patients. And so what you are doing here, Melody, and the whole board and the whole group is really, really important, and I support it, and I love it. So thank you so much for being here. I'm grateful to be uh, part of the planning. Uh, you're going to hear from me a little bit more tomorrow and a lot of the doctors that I work with. Uh, and I really look forward to meeting all of you. So thank you very much. That's all I've got. Hey. Well, I still have a couple of announcements real quick. So thank you guys. Thanks for hosting. Thank you for all of the support and helping just make this possible. For those of you guys who don't know me, my name is Danae Peterson. Uh, I am your MC for the weekend. I will be here in main room all day today and tomorrow. Um, and I am also a patient. I was diagnosed about three years ago myself. So I get it. I'm here. Like, I understand largely what you're going through, to at least to some degree, you know, as much as we can relate to each other. Um, but briefly, before we get started, before I introduce our first speaker, I actually want to run through and just thank our sponsors. Um, so our seminar this year is literally made possible by all of these sponsors. So just a special huge thank you to Castle Biosciences and to UWI uh, Institute and the Fred Hutch Cancer Center, um, along with the rest of our sponsors like Ara Biosciences, Immunocore, IDEA, um, Delcalf Systems, Trisalis Life Sciences, Northwest Eye Design, and Replimune. Please make sure to just give a huge thank you, especially if you're here in person and you see any of their representatives. Um, say thank you. Uh, they literally make this event possible, and we have them out in the foyer. Uh, they have little booths, and you can chat with them. And then if you're joining us virtually, you can actually chat with the exhibitors. You can kind of see more about them in the back end of the Zoom events um, when you're just joining from the lobby. All right, let's see. Okay, so a couple things, just kind of housekeeping. Today, we're gonna have you know, four sessions. We're gonna finish up by about noon. After that, there is a round table that's invitation only with Castle Biosciences. So if you signed up for that, then we want you to stick around. Um, but the rest of the day is yours after the 12 o'clock mark. So we want you to be here, be present, be part of the sessions, interact with the speakers, ask questions, and then the rest of the day is yours. So when we have our breaks, um, just kind of to set the expectation. This break is roughly from the 10 minutes before the hour until the top of the hour. That's for you guys, especially if you're here in person, to go get a drink, use the restroom, grab a coffee. Um, if you are going to have a quick conversation with somebody that you just met or you want to chat, take it out in the foyer. Um, and just kind of as a special fun thing, if you make it back in here by the top of the hour to be on time for our next speaker, you actually will get an extra raffle ticket. And the raffle ticket will help you get drawings, entries, you know, to be able to be getting prizes throughout the day and tomorrow. So we want you guys here on time. Please just be respectful of our speakers and their time um, and just be here on time. Uh, I hope that the rest of the day you guys can hang out, hang out with some friends, socialize, spend some time together, and just utilize the whole rest of this day to explore Seattle or chill in your room and watch Netflix. Like, it doesn't matter to me. Like, whatever makes sense for you and whatever you need. Okay, like I said, following today's sessions, we do have a patient roundtable. That's going to be from about 12.30 to 2 p.m. It is invitation only, so you had to sign up prior to this event with the Castle Biosciences group to do this roundtable. Don't forget, for those of you here in person, um, for those of you online, I'm sorry I'm running through in-person announcements, but you just have to deal. 
so tomorrow, not tonight, tomorrow evening at 5.30 upstairs, we're going to be having a cocktail hour and a dinner gala to just celebrate you, leave OM behind, and we want you to come and just enjoy the evening. Dress up or as, you know, as much or as little as you want, but we just want to see your faces, we want to celebrate with you, and we want to just celebrate the fact that you guys are here. You're learning to thrive, you're learning to empower yourselves as patients, as caregivers, and we're so glad that you're here. So don't forget, tomorrow night, 5.30, and it's actually just here on the hotel premises, um, and we will designate exactly where tomorrow. Okay, if you haven't seen him, he and uh, I think it's his girlfriend Astrid are here, and, oops, sorry. Um, and Jerome is our event photographer. If you were here last year for the I Believe event in Nashville, he is fantastic. He is really good with the camera, and he's also really good at just paying attention to and acknowledging, yes, he's right over here, um, just acknowledging that we all have some vision issues, or maybe our eyes feel a little funny and we're self-conscious. He's very good. Everyone who had pictures taken of themselves last year loved the pictures. Like, I cannot tell you how many people were like, oh my gosh, he made me feel so good. So um, we're so glad that he's here. He's actually come all the way from, is it Sweden? No, live the Netherlands. Okay, sorry. Leiden, the Netherlands. And he met Melody at ISOO a couple years ago, so it was great. Again, thank you to our wonderful host and to Dr. Stacy for being here today. We're so glad we got to hear from him. Um, if you guys miss any of the, you know, sessions tomorrow because you can't be in two places at once or virtually if you're not able to attend everything, we do have uh, an intention to have all of the sessions. They are being recorded right now and they will all be coming back up on the podcast in one of the new, you know, season releases of all of the episodes um, broken down by session. So just stay tuned. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss out on when those go live. All right. So coming up today, here's our agenda. First up, we are going to be talking with Dr. Blake Langley about integrative oncology and ocular melanoma. At 9 o'clock, we're going to be talking with Ann Osborne. You guys know her well, and she's going to talk about finding wellness through meditation. At 10 a.m., we're going to talk about our registry, and Melody and Hannah are going to just talk to you guys and show you what is the registry, how do you use it, and what are some of the best things that you can do as a patient or a caregiver uh, to just help us better further research for ocular melanoma. And at 11 o'clock, our final session is going to be with me, and I'm going to have a couple other patients join me. We're going to talk about coping with your diagnosis. First up, we have our first speaker is Dr. Blake Lingley, and he is here uh, as a postdoctoral clinical investigator investigating the safety of natural products in Crohn's disease and novel biomarkers of inflammation. He is pursuing, pursuing a career in late translational research to support healthy policy change for integrative and traditional complementary uh, healthcare professions. He's a licensed naturopathic doctor here in Washington and in Oregon and an acupuncturist. So Dr. Langley, welcome to the stage. Hello. And then is the clicker? Ooh, can I have that? Thank you so much. It's fun to uh, get to come up and say that I actually already had a little bit of a career change. I'm joining you today actually as a staff scientist at Fred Hutch. So I have moved on from my postdoc career at UW and now um, uh, fully a faculty member of Fred Hutch. So really glad to join y'all today. Um, at Fred Hutch, I also work as a research acupuncturist in our integrative medicine uh, program. And I'll be talking about how integrative medicine can support us across the cancer care continuum. 
It also made me really happy that y'all are going to get a great afternoon to be able to explore um, our beautiful city. But I want to share um, that Fred Hutch in here today, throughout the weekend, we're operating on the lands of the Coast Salish peoples and the land that touches the shared, that's shared between the Duwamish, Puyallup, Suquamish, Tulalip, and Muckleshoot nations. And so as you walk through uh, our city in this venue, please just consider how you may be able to best serve as a steward for the continued care of this land. I don't have any uh, financial or non-financial disclosures about what we discussed today, but I am funded by the National Center for Complementary and Integrative Health. And integrative medicine has a growing body of evidence on how it can effectively manage symptoms decrease side effects, and improve quality of life across different areas of medicine. How integrative medicine is brought into conventional care settings is my personal uh, interest in research, and it's also still growing there. But before we dive into some of the specific techniques or tools and recommendations, I want to make sure that we are all speaking the same language about it. There are important differences between some of these therapies. Traditional therapies refer to culturally-based healthcare practices, such as Native American botanical and herbal traditions. Alternative therapies are used in place of conventional therapies. And complementary therapies do what their name says. They play a complementary role when used alongside conventional techniques. Many therapies that are considered traditional are also represented within complementary and alternative therapies, so these are not necessarily mutually exclusive designations. Integrative health and medicine merges those tools and approaches the therapies to be used in conjunction with conventional care. You may have also heard the term functional medicine, and functional medicine generally pulls some of the tools such as dietary supplements from integrative medicine specifically to address chronic illness. Integrative oncology is a patient-centered and evidence-informed field of cancer care that utilizes mind and body practices, natural products or other lifestyle modifications, and different traditions alongside conventional cancer treatments to optimize health, improve quality of life, and overall clinical outcomes across that cancer continuum. And this is the definition that was developed by the Society for Integrative Oncology that was founded in 2003. It's a multidisciplinary organization uh, for integrative oncology that also has a thriving patient advocate program, which influences equitable and inclusive healthcare policy and advises research design, implementation, and communication. I'll actually be speaking at the conference for SIO next week in Banff, Canada um, on some of my current research and patients and providers alike are welcome to join. Um, there are virtual options for attendance if you are interested. At Fred Hutch, the Integrative Medicine Supportive Care Service is part of an interdisciplinary clinical team that works collaboratively to ensure patient safety. Our services are limited to Fred Hutch patients, but we do have a public-facing website with resources and handouts that are free to use. So some of these handouts are actually included in your welcome packet, and there are gonna be some QR codes, um, and I, you may have access to the slides after this, I'm not sure, that you can use to scan and get access to some of those. Formed almost six years ago, Fred Hutch's Integrated Medicine Clinic emulates SIO's definition of integrative oncology to focus on well-researched, evidence-based, and non-pharmacological interventions to support patients as they undergo treatment and into survivorship. 
We focus on lifestyle counseling, mind-body therapies like acupuncture and meditation, and the safe and appropriate use of dietary supplements. And this is going to be the same approach that I'll be taking today during the talk. But with the definitions out of the way, and before we actually dive into the presentation, I'm going to guide us through a short breathing exercise that may give us the space to connect with the present moment as we get started and welcome all that can come to you in the next few days. So as your body allows, I'd like for you to find a comfortable position. If you can, have it be upright. You can close your eyes if that's comfortable to you or focus on an area, a spot that's just a few, a few um, feet in front of you. Take a deep breath and bring yourself into the present moment. Notice whatever you're experiencing right now. Notice any of the sensations. They may be areas of discomfort or tension. But notice your feet on the ground or if you're sitting, notice whatever you're sitting on. Noticing the clothes that are rubbing against your body and the air as it comes in contact with your skin. Now, notice what might be flowing through your mind. Whatever thoughts are here, as best you can, just observe those thoughts as they are there. And move your focus to what you may be feeling emotionally. When we enter discussions like those this weekend, many of these emotions can be unearthed. Try not to change that experience, but simply notice those and how they arise in your body. Next, bring your attention to your breath. Noticing the rise and fall of your stomach or your chest as you breathe in and as you breathe out. Notice the cool air flowing in through your nose as you inhale, and that it's warm as you exhale, continuing to breathe in and out. If you find your mind wandering away from your body, simply bring it back to noticing that breath in and out as they follow one after another. Allow your awareness to begin to expand and encompass your breath as it moves into your body, some awareness as well to your thinking or whatever you're feeling emotionally, and bring this also to notice the whole experience as well as what you are feeling in your physical body, holding everything in awareness. Slowly, Bring your awareness back into this room. You can begin by pushing your feet slightly into the ground and have a small stretch. As you're able, open your eyes if, you're closed, if they're closed and notice what you see, what, how that may be different, what you hear, or any other potential changes. That's a brief introduction into some of the techniques that we use at Fred Hutch to make sure that we stay in our bodies so that we can actually process the many, many issues that we face for, on a day-to-day -day basis. 
So as we move into integrative and medicine pr approaches for patients that have a current or history of cancer, I have to preface that we don't currently have any comprehensive integrative medicine guidelines that have been developed that are specific to ocular melanoma. But we do have recommendations, especially in cancer survivorship in general. With integrative medicine, we focus principally on establishing the foundations for health, much like what it requires for a tree to thrive. We have to make sure that our environment, that soil that we're rooted in, that the sunlight we use to photosynthesize, are, both of these are of the highest quality. Occasionally, you have to have some miracle growth thrown in to make sure that you have some nutrients. Um, you may have to prune some areas and get rid of some unhealthy spots, but what I'm getting at is that we really have to construct our environment, both externally and internally, to support us in, our, in how to thrive. In the same vein, there's also no single answer to cancer prevention, unfortunately. There's no specific ingredient, pill, or practice um, that will address any or every symptom that we can all experience, and that's because we bring our own individual selves to the table, each with a different story and different resources. But today, I'm gonna to be discussing the best foundations for preventing care and thriving during treatment and into survivorship. Starting with physical activity goals, nutrition and dietary recommendations, some other lifestyle practices and exposure reduction, mind-body techniques like what we just had, and also some general recommendations or research on dietary supplements. What you see here is the comprehensive overview of cancer prevention recommendations developed by the American Institute for Cancer Research, or AICR, in conjunction with the World Cancer Research Fund. These uh, groups compile all of the interventional and observational data that we have on nutrition, survivorship, cancer prevention, and risk. And we, with the integrated medicine team at Fred Hutch, base all of our guidelines off of these. The recommendations combine diet, lifestyle, and self-care recommendations to reduce the risk of recurrence or development of a secondary cancer. And we are currently also not completely clear on what causes someone to develop a potential sec secondary cancer, which is why our recommendations all aim to reduce global risk and support us as to make comprehensive lifestyle modifications to help us thrive. First and foremost, our goal and recommendation is to achieve and maintain a healthy weight and there is quite a bit of debate, debate around what is considered a healthy weight. When I'm discussing weight today, I'm gonna to be using the body mass index, or BMI, as a standard measure for how we categorize weight. And we aim for what's in green on the chart on the right, and that is a BMI of 20 to 25. In reality though, BMI alone does not capture many of the aspects of what can impact risk for cancers, and factors like high muscle mass can also skew our interpretation of what is healthy. But we do know that overweight and obesity hold a very high risk for certain, certain conditions other than cancer that can include high blood pressure, diabetes, and heart disease. And that incremental weight loss, estimated at about 10% of overall body weight if you are overweight, also lowers your risk of several diseases. By the AICR and the American Cancer Society, the goal is to achieve and maintain a healthy weight throughout life without being underweight. But of course, that is simply just a goal. There are so many factors that contribute to why overweight and obesity are an issue in the United States. From poor food quality to poor food access and from high stress and poor sleep, it becomes overwhelmingly difficult for us to take 
any substantial action toward achieving that goal. But each of the recommendations that I'm gonna be talking about today can directly, for instance, through physical activity and nutrition, or indirectly by improving our energy balance, sleep quality, and mental wellness. These can all work together to impact our ability to achieve and maintain a healthy weight. And more than anything else, if you can achieve one thing that we discussed today, it is to focus on being physically active. Being physically active is the factor known to have the greatest improvement across outcomes for symptoms and for overall risk reduction. When we talk about physical activity in this context, we wanna look at numbers four to eight, that green and yellow in the chart on the right. We aim to experience a little bit of heavy breathing while we exercise, but you still wanna be able to hold a conversation even if that's only in short spurts or sentences, and you want to have that experience of being slightly short of breath. I'm gonna be making a lot of hints at potential compounding effects throughout the talk, um, how small incremental improvements in your physical activity can be influenced by your diet and your sleep, um, as well as how that all improves your energy and vice versa. Physical activity in and of itself helps manage anxiety, reduce fatigue, and improve self-esteem, as well as energy and mood balance outside of that disease risk reduction or any of the changes in body composition like BMI. We also know that light impact exercise can improve bone strength, that physical activity boosts muscle strength and endurance overall, and that some increased muscle mass can also on its own support blood sugar regulation. We recommend that we all have 150 to 300 minutes each week of moderate to vigorous physical activity, that number four to eight on the slide before. How you achieve that goal is really up to you, although many people make the recommendation of five times a week, 30-minute exercises each week. You can find, honestly, whatever activity resonates most with your body and with you on a personal level or cultural level, and what's acceptable to your body's comfort and ability, as well as what is safe and accessible in your geographic region and your own finances. And that can be anything from walking and running to biking or yoga, dancing, or if you really wanna go rock climbing with me, a more extreme sport. Um, but challenge, a challenge for us um, is how do we actually make that knowledge real and employ accountability, either with yourself or with your community. Especially in the last three years, it's been really challenging to get to a community class or to go to a gym. But thankfully, there have also been some really innovative ways that technology supports physical activity, um, and that can be through free mobile applications, built-in softwares and trackers, or wearable devices like smartwatches. Um, and many of these platforms also offer weekly and monthly challenges to make exercise a bit more interactive and approachable. But building out your routine, however that looks in your daily life and in your community, is absolutely necessary to approaching making sustainable changes. And with both physical activity and nutrition, I like to say that that really is guided by letting go of this concept of perfectionism and remaining kind and compassionate with ourselves and with others. Sustainable changes like we're gonna be recommending today do take time and incremental steps are absolutely necessary. Overnight overhauls of lifestyle patterns are rarely sustainable. With any of the recommendations that we discussed today, always consider leaning on an expert, be they a personal trainer, a nutritionist, or other members of your healthcare team, so that they can help, one, get you started, and two, help keep you going. But 
we're talking about diet now, and what is this concept of a healthy diet, right? Is gluten this horribly evil thing that's in all of our food, and is paleo really the only way to stay healthy? Those are some of the things that are being thrown out. And when we say healthy diet, we mean to eat with a emphasis on plant foods. In principle, eating a variety of vegetables, fruits, whole grains, beans, legumes, at least two and a half cups of vegetables and fruit each day with the end goal of eating five. Um, evidence shows that people who consume the highest amounts of fruits and vegetables, that's five to nine servings per day, regardless of whether they are organic, have the lowest rates of cancer recurrence. Choosing foods and drinks that are low in fat, processed sugars, um, and focusing on eating in amounts that help you reach and maintain a healthy weight and reducing the consumption of fast foods and highly processed foods are also foundational. But I have to say, no single food also fights cancer alone. Whole foods contribute to fighting cancer together. Focusing on increasing fruit and vegetable intake in our diets is vitally important. Plants provide us the essential vitamins and minerals that we need to support a healthy immune system and fighting infection and remaining healthy overall. Plants, including those that you can get from herbs and spices, also contain phytonutrients. These are secondary plant compounds that provide them the added protection to environmental damage or protect them from predators that may try to eat them. And it's these phytonutrients in plants that actually are responsible for their health benefits or what we might hear as an antioxidant or anti-inflammatory activity. All plants also contain fiber, and fiber is a non-digestible carb that helps to reduce cholesterol in our bodies, regulate our blood sugar levels, and support a healthy gut microbiome, which we'll be talking about in a bit. But a leading issue in the United States especially is the predominance of energy-dense foods. Nutrient density measures uh, how many healthy and how much healthy nutrients are in a food compared to their overall energy content or calories. Some examples of energy-dense foods are going to be on the screen, including those high in added and processed sugars, um, red meats and processed meats especially, um, and we can see, of course, french fries and hamburgers, those delicious fast foods. Unfortunately, we need to decrease them overall. Aiming instead of, if you want to take this approach, instead of aiming just to decrease those, aiming to increase the phytonutrients and fiber from plant-focused foods can actually shift the balance away from eating those energy-dense foods and establish the foundations for a healthy diet. But there is a diet that most closely aligns with these recommendations, and that is the Mediterranean diet, which many of you may have heard of. Um, having a standardized diet like the Mediterranean diet can help us find recipes that are compliant with nutritional sources that are recommended, as well as sort of, uh, serve as sort of a compass for us to determine what is really a healthy meal. And in principle, the Mediterranean diet focuses on choosing healthy fats, so moving into plant-derived fats instead of ones like butter derived from animals, eating less red meat, and general recommendations are eating no more than a pound and a half each week of red meat, um, especially with if you are in survivorship. And you can consider what we think of as meat alternatives, and that is fish and poultry. And a general recommendation as well is that survivors of cancer should be avoiding smoked, preserved, or salted meats as well. And I love this fad. The intermittent fasting diet, or what we at Fred Hutch call time-restricted eating, has been a really hot topic in nutrition research and culturally in general. It's 
estimated, though, that over half of adults in the United States eat during a period of the day 15 hours or longer, and that most calories in the day are eaten in the last portion of the day. With time-restricted eating, intermittent fasting, the idea is that you're allowed to eat almost whatever you want in whatever quantities, as long as it's during that time that fits your schedule. Time-restricted eating periods can be 12 hours to 16 hours, where someone only eats during that eight to 12 hour period each day. We do know that research has not yet supported any benefits with fasting for more than 14 hours each day. Some st studies do report that there have been positive effects on body weight, but many studies don't show other benefits, like what we wanna see with lowered blood sugar or lowered blood pressure. Many of these studies, unfortunately, are also small and only focus on a short period of time. So while there may be some potential for weight loss, we don't understand the long-term effects of time-restricted eating, including how long a person may need to remain on a diet to see lasting effects. With this in mind, though, if you are considering time-restricted eating, especially if you're undergoing active treatment for cancer, be aware that there are potential risks for loss of muscle mass, and so always be monitoring your body weight. Um, following a time-restricted eating pattern of no more than 14 hours each day is in alignment as well with your normal sleep pattern and your body's circadian rhythm, that sleep-wake cycle. If you want to approach this, start off by bumping back or delaying your first meal each day by 30 minutes, maybe up to an hour and a half, and moving forward that last meal by 30 minutes to an hour and a half. But always make sure that you're not only meeting your daily caloric demand, but also our recommendations for physical activity. The other major topic, the gut microbiome, which I think I heard that many of us are interested in, is a vast ecosystem of trillions of microorganisms, including bacteria, viruses, fungi, and others that reside in your digestive tract. And these microbes play a pivotal role in various aspects of our health, including digestion, nutrient absorption, and immune system function. It's also estimated that 70 to 80% of your immune cells actually reside in your gut. The gut microbes also create metabolic products which can influence inflammation, metabolism, and have downstream effects on mood, stress, and sleep. Research suggests that a healthy and diverse gut microbiome can help reduce the risk of certain cancers and potentially improve outcomes for cancer survivors and during treatment. A balanced microbiome can enhance your body's ability potentially to metabolize certain medications and reduce overall inflammation, aiding on your recovery journey. This, there is also a reciprocal relationship between mood, stress, sleep, and the gut microbiome. For example, gut microbes contribute to immune responses, and chronic inflammation from these immune responses can lead to higher stress and inflammation, subsequently worsening sleep and mood, and have implications on your physical activity and your nutrition, which thereby again affects your gut microbiome. There are also many of the mind-body practices that we're gonna be talking about today, such as meditation, which can actually benefit your gut health. When you want to think about how to develop and support a healthy gut microbiome, my saying is that diversity begets diversity. Food provides the necessary nutrients for a diverse microbiome. I also say that real food is real nutrition, and probiotics and prebiotics are massive areas both of research and of some controversy. 
Probiotics are the beneficial uh, bacterial species that are found in your gut, and adding to these bacterial colonies in general create some less room for harmful species and end up potentially pushing them out. You can eat probiotic cultures from fermented foods like yogurt, kefir, or sauerkraut, and these foods also typically have much, potentially much higher and more diverse probiotics than what you would find in supplement form, and on their own can help restore and maintain gut microbial balance. Additionally, foods that are highly or ultra-processed um, can disrupt the gut microbiome because those species only feel, feed on what are naturally occurring nutrients. But you can also consume prebiotics, and prebiotics are indigestible, indigestible fibers found in foods like garlic, onions, and asparagus. And since these fibers are indigestible, that's by our own enzymes that we make, and they serve as a certain type of food for bacteria in the gut and help them thrive. Specific to probiotic supplementation, um, they should only be really used when necessary and at the recommendation of your provider. And due to the nature of live cultures at Fred Hutch, our recommendation is not to take probiotics if you're immunosuppressed. Probiotics can help recover the gut microbiome and support side effects that we may see from antibiotic use, but use of probiotic supplements should always be guided by your, by your care provider. I want to point you to a resource that is free and that has been developed by our team at Fred Hutch, and that is Cook for Your Life. The website is www.cookforyourlife.org. And it was developed under the leadership of, Dr., uh, of Anne Ogden Gaffney, a three-time cancer survivor, and Dr. Heather Greenlee, who is um, the principal investigator of the integrative medicine team. The website offers over 1,000 recipes, instructional videos on cooking and using tools in the kitchen, and in general, provides information and synthesizes the current research for anyone aiming to prevent cancer occurrence, address specific concerns, and thrive in survivorship. This is, and, and I'm sorry, I took it as a screenshot, so the, <laughs> the font is pretty small, but it's an example of what you can find at cookforyourlife.org um, with specific recipes to address symptoms like low appetite, constipation, early satiety, or nausea. Cook for Your Life also has resources to help meet nutritional recommendations that we're discussing today and help reduce your overall cancer risk and feel your best in survivorship. Again, this is a free resource and you're welcome to share that widely. But part of nutrition is not just the food that we consume and it is what we drink. AICR uh, released a formal statement in 2022 that alcohol is a carcinogen. Alcohol increases the risk of can at least six cancers, including colorectal, breast, esophageal, liver, oral, and stomach cancers. For some of these cancers, such as breast and esophageal cancer, the risk actually increases with less than one drink consumed per day. And overall, the greater risk, the overall the greater consumption of alcohol, the greater risk that you face. And that's for any type of alcohol. And any reduction in alcohol consumption can also help lower your risk. We know also that sales of hard liquor and wine increased during the early days of the pandemic, along with a notable increase in binge and high intensity drinking. Sometimes this is a way for us to manage stress or to get out and be social, um, or for many other potential reasons, and I can't cover all of those today, but alcohol really is more dangerous than many of us realize. 
For those of us who want to lower our alcohol intake, there are several strategies um, that can help us cut back, including alternating alcoholic and non-alcoholic drinks like mocktails or non-alcoholic beers, or using something like a school night model to help uh, keep a few days of the week alcohol-free. Additionally, and this is the whole point of integrated medicine, looking at the reason why we drink is what our focus should be. Finding strategies to help us subsequently reduce the need by managing our stress or sleep, is, which is why we use alcohol in the first place, can help us reduce the quantities um, that we know now are dangerous. And we do know also that tobacco is a carcinogen. Tobacco use is the leading preventable cause of cancer in the United States. And for anyone who uses tobacco in any form, reducing use in any way can confer significant health benefits immediately. There have recently been some claims that tobacco alternatives may be safe, such as vaping, and this is a major area of controversy, and we don't know if it's truly a part of risk reduction. But we believe that vaping in lieu of inhaled tobacco is only an exposure exchange. And right now, we simply don't know the long-term risks that are associated with vaping in the realm of cancer prevention. While nicotine itself is not a carcinogen, much like with alcohol, identifying and addressing the reasons why we're smoking is the best way to address the issue at hand. Now, living in the Pacific Northwest, <laughs> it's always fun to discuss the thing that we miss for half the year, and that is sunshine. Um, we know that uh, exposure to ultraviolet radiation is a cause of skin cancer, including melanomas, and is a risk factor for ocular melanoma as well. UV rays can damage your skin in as little as 15 minutes, and that's not only if it's a sunny day. Even on a cloudy day, we do actually need sun protection, and sunscreen can protect us against a broad spectrum of ultraviolet rays. On cloudy days, SPF or sun protection factor of 15 or higher is needed, and at least 30 otherwise. And all evidence points to tanning beds as being nothing but dangerous. But what about vitamin D? The good news is that your body can usually make usable vitamin D with a total of about 30 uh, minutes of exposure to sun daily. But for the people who live above the 45th parallel, which is where we are today, this is a you know, significant concern, especially as we move into our winter, more hibernation months. If you're concerned that you are not getting enough vitamin D, consult your physician and check your levels um, to see if supplementation is needed. At Fred Hutch, we target a 30 to 50 nanogram per milliliter value for people with a history of cancer. And your physician can make those specific recommendations on dosing vitamin D supplements because there is a risk for over-supplementation with vitamin D. One of my favorite pastimes, if we're being honest, though, is sleeping. And I uh, don't wish insomnia on any of us. <laughs> but unfortunately, poor sleep quality is very real, especially in the United States, during active cancer treatment and into survivorship. And whether that is due to pain, anxiety, depression, medication side effects, poor sleep can affect your overall quality of life and your ability to do your daily activities. Um, getting better sleep can help with all of these and circle back to help you meet things like your exercise goals, your nutrition goals, and more. There are some basic ways to set up your space if you are experiencing poor sleep quality, and that it begins with making sure your room is dark making sure it's actually completely dark, as blue light can reduce your innate melatonin production, the hormone that helps regulate that sleep portion of your circadian rhythm. 
and also regulating noise pollution. Make sure it's as quiet as possible because noise can be interpreted as a stressor by the body leading to increased cortisol production, which is the wake hormone associated with your circadian rhythm. Caffeine late in the day and moderate to vigorous physical activity late in the day also can help pre or can prevent your ability to actually wind down for sleep. And that doesn't mean though that physical activity is bad. Physical activity earlier in the day can actually help you get and stay get to and stay asleep. Technology like computer computers, phones, watches, many of them now have settings that can naturally dim or filter blue light as you approach bedtime in the evening and avoiding any bright light or blue light during the time leading to sleep, including television, is also core. They're also um, using the QR code below, and hopefully I'll be able to get you these slides. Uh, there's a sleep hygiene handout that was developed by our integrated medicine team. And finally, after establishing these really core foundations for sleep hygiene, if you're still experiencing poor sleep quality, Talk with your doctor and see if maybe there may be um, some side effects of your medications that are also playing a role. And we've been touching on mood throughout the talk. Mind-body medicine is something of a catch-all phrase that includes techniques like guided breathing uh, or guided imagery, yoga, acupuncture, massage. These can always be used on their own to help manage whatever you're facing or be used in conjunction to together help move us out of that higher stress, fight or flight sympathetic status into what we call rest and digest or parasympathetic. We know that mind-body techniques can improve and make positive impacts on overall quality of life, address treatment side effects, support us in pain, anxiety, stress and insomnia, and also address some of those factors which lead to increased use of alcohol and tobacco. Most commonly, the effects of mindfulness-based stress reduction, or MBSR, is what shows up in the literature. We also know that there was a major study um, that looked at eight weeks of daily MBSR that showed that it was close to just as effective as Lexapro at managing anxiety over that eight-week period. But MBSR, again, is not the only technique that you can use. Things like talk therapy or expressive forms of uh, mindfulness, including gardening, dance, or other music. These are potential ways that you can incorporate mindfulness into your daily life to address what you're facing. It's important to point out, though, that there is no right answer for everyone and that each of us may have to lean on multiple of these therapies or we may need to change them over time. For instance, acupuncture or yoga aren't necessarily accessible or even culturally appropriate for everyone. The biggest thing is to explore what resonates with you and work on that. And there are many online and local resources to figure out what might be best for you um, as they have some free trial periods to help dip your toes in. And I've included some of the ones including local, local resources here in Seattle. But I wanna take a little bit of a deeper dive into one of my favorites and this is acupuncture and that's because I'm an acupuncturist. Um, I'm a licensed acupuncturist here in the state of Washington and in Oregon and at Fred Hutch I practice as a research acupuncturist and help design and implement clinical trials for acupuncture and acupressure. Acupuncture, if you don't know of it, it's a system of medicine from East Asia with various schools and types. The most prevalent in the United States is traditional Chinese medicine or TCM which applies medical theory 
to address imbalances in the body, primarily by stimulating specific points that are mapped along areas of flow called channels or meridians, which you can see down on the bottom left. Stimulating these points can be done using different techniques such as very fine acupuncture needles, ear seeds, scraping, or what you hear as gua sha, cupping techniques, and massage. TCM also uses herbs, um, which can also, yet again, be a source of controversy. Especially in cancer care and at Fred Hutch, we say that we love Chinese herbs, but we don't love Chinese herbs during active treatment. And that's due to the high potential for herbal interactions with cancer treatments. Studies have also shown that acupuncture can help manage symptoms like pain related to and following cancer treatment and surgery, joint pain, nausea, vomiting, um, fatigue, headaches, anxiety, and more. In general, when and if you go to see an acupuncturist, you'll start discussing your treatment plan, which usually includes weekly treatments over an eight week or so period, which whatever you come with may require a longer period to achieve long-term results. Appointments usually will last an hour. You can experience symptoms right away or you may need more than one treatment before you start to notice any benefits. For acupuncture itself, very thin sterile needles are inserted into the acupuncture points. Note that if you're experiencing pain and that's what you're coming in for in a specific area of your body, just know that the acupuncturist may or may not directly needle that location. Commonly used acupuncture points are located on your arms, usually below the elbow, and on your legs, usually below the knee. Between 10 to 20 needles are used each time in a typical treatment, and you may feel a mild pinching sensation when they're inserted, but it should not be painful but there might be a mild ache or a pressure when the needle actually reaches the right spot. We really recommend checking your lo local and state associations for acupuncturists, one, who are licensed to practice there, and two, um, who are trained in oncology acupuncture. I was going to take us through a little activity, but I'm gonna keep moving on. What you have in your welcome packets as well are a sheet on acupressure, and there are QR codes that should be on there that have videos that can guide you through some acupressure techniques to help manage specific symptoms, including ones for nausea, for pain, and headache. So I'll be here for a little bit, so if you have any questions about that, let me know. Um, and of course, we all wanna talk about natural products. I love talking about natural products. And natural products encompass dietary supplements, vitamins, minerals, herbs, and botanicals that can be used to address either nutritional deficiencies or specific symptoms. This is, yet again, a topic of wide debate. And as evidence continues to grow, we are improving our understanding of what is both safe and effective. We know that up to 80% or so, and typically at least 40% of patients with current or a history of cancer use some type of natural product or dietary supplement. Unfortunately, there are significant concerns for whether these products may interact or interfere with conventional treatments. Most importantly, being open and discussing the use of natural products with your medical team can help them identify any potential interactions with medications or even with other supplements that you may be taking. My consideration with supplements is that they are just that, supplementary to your foundational diet. Most dietary supplements like vitamins and minerals can generally be derived um, from plant-focused diets that are already rich in the phytonutrients that we've discussed, but if there is some kind of nutritional deficiency, supplement can of course be indicated as necessary. 
I'll quickly touch on where the evidence is just for some of the products that I think have come up in discussion here, as well as general guidelines as it relates to cancer therapies. In general, we recommend against using medicinal mushrooms for anyone who is on immunotherapy because we don't have sufficient evidence either on the potential risk or harms or benefits to know how they may affect outcomes yet. Curcumin um, from turmeric has a wide array of potential benefits as well. As a food, turmeric is wonderful. The high dose that's found in supplements, however, raises significant concerns with liver function. There are many um, interactions with medications like blood thinners, as well as anti-inflammatory medications like Tylenol and Advil. Black seed oil um, has some chemical components with both antioxidant and anti-inflammatory activities. Anti-cancer effects that have been studied with black seed oil have been found in animal models, but they have not been replicated in humans yet. However, we, there is a clinical trial that demonstrated that topical application of black seed oil gel did decrease the severity of acute radiation dermatitis or skin reaction in patients with breast cancer. Also, taking black seed oil internally potentially can interfere with some drugs, though the clinical relevance of those interactions are still being mapped out. Mistletoe, um, and I want to be really clear, mistletoe in this context is viscous album, viscum album, the European mistletoe, not for adendrin leucarpum, that's the American mistletoe. Um, some European studies with subcutaneous injection, so injection of mistletoe just under the skin, have shown some improvements in quality of life as well as symptom management. But though that evidence and those trials have not been replicated in the United States. The current evidence, though, that we do have suggests that there aren't any negative effects in, um, on the impact of efficacy of chemotherapies if taking mistletoe in that subcutaneous injectable form. But I want to reiterate that that form is under the skin. Mistletoe that is taken orally can be highly toxic, leading to vomiting and seizures, and there are um, reports of death with oral mistletoe. When it comes to alkalinizing agents, those salt products that aim at increasing the pH of our bodies, we um, do not know yet of any substantial uh, benefits, though we also don't know of any evidence of harm. Our bodies have an innate ability to maintain homeostasis with our pH, especially as it comes to maintaining the pH of our blood. Any substantial shifts to a higher or lower pH um, would actually have life-threatening implications. But we also know that pH-modifying regimens are not yet known to achieve such a shift. So these are some uh, resources. The top two four are free resources that have some really great information on dietary supplements. Um, Memorial Sloan Kettering about herbs gives you really, really clear um, monographs of this. Natural Medicines Database, the one on the bottom, is something that uh, we at the Fred Hutch Integrated Medicine team and our clinical pharmacist use to double check the potential for dietary supplement and drug interactions. It does require a subscription. So our key takeaways. Integrated Medicine focuses on supporting the foundations for health and well-being uh, coming from what we put into our bodies and what we do with our bodies. We know that maintaining a lean and healthy body mass is the primary goal, and incremental weight loss is the best way to move toward that goal, improving outcomes and reducing overall risk. Physical activity 
150 to 300 minutes of moderate to vigorous physical activity is the best way to move toward that goal. And it helps improve symptoms of mood and motivation to work on other areas. We are truly what we eat. Real foods do give us real nutrition and improve our gut microbiome. Eating a plant-focused whole foods diet is the ideal way to meet nutrition goals and to support the work that's being done with our physical activity. Tobacco and alcohol both are carcinogenic, and there's no safe way to consume any tobacco product in any form, and limiting alcohol intake to no more than one serving per day is the most substantial way to reduce risk of cancer, cardiovascular disease, and other condi conditions in that context. Ultraviolet light exposure can be harmful, so protecting yourself from damaging rays by using sunscreen with sufficient SPF, sorry, uh, while ensuring your vitamin D levels are also sufficient is the best approach. Mind-body practices such as meditation, breathwork, journaling, or others that resonate with you to get you into that parasympathetic rest and digest state comprehensively helps your body function. Acupuncture as a technique is something to consider if you're looking for symptom relief to support with anxiety, stress, fatigue, and is best provided by an acupuncturist with experience in oncology. Finally, dietary supplements should truly be considered supplementary to your healthy foundational diet and should be communicated as well with your care team, especially in active treatment, making sure that no interactions with said treatment is the safest approach. With that, that is what I have for you today. I wanna thank the National Center for Complementary and Integrative Health. They've been supporting me on my, uh, in my research career over the last four years and have brought me here to Fred Hutch. And this is our incredible integrated medicine team all under the leadership of Dr. Heather Greenlee. Um, this is our administrative clinical research um, team all in one. And with that, thank you. Thank you so much, Dr. Blake Langley. That was marvelous. Um, I feel like there's just a lot of things to unpack, right? And so we're really glad that you were here to just help just kind of narrow the focus a little bit. Um, so you guys, we have time for questions, just a few minutes for questions. And if we, by some chance, don't get to your question, whether it's one you write down or if you're listening virtually and you have that question, we don't get to it, we don't have a chance to answer, please keep in mind we're gonna do our best to pull all the questions and um, we will get them answered as quickly as is physically possible. Um, it may take you know a couple weeks after the event, but if you do have questions on your papers or on your tables, there are papers for you to write those down. Um, I think we only have time for maybe a couple questions because we're down to like maybe three minutes to I think the top of the, the break. Uh, but if you're listening online and you have questions, we'll just give it like a minute. And then if you do have a question paper in the room, hold it up and Hannah will come and grab it and bring it up. So now we're just gonna sit here and be awkward. <laughs> Um, if you can write the question on the paper, that's going to be the best way to do it. Just because we don't have a mic, we can run everywhere all over the room. That would just be a little obnoxious. Um, anyway, but this, all, this is all the kind of stuff that I just eat it up because this is, this is what I do. <laughs> awesome. Perfect. Okay. So how do you suggest that patients actually go about finding a provider who will guide them in making these kinds of changes sustainably and affordably? Yeah, of course. So um, it depends on where in the country you are. That's kind of, so 
One of the biggest issues right now is healthcare access and figuring out where um, a naturopathic doctor or acupuncturist may be. Um, almost every state where naturopathic doctors or acupuncturists are licensed, there will be a state association website. Um, so you can look up whatever kind of provider that you want and then um, state association for your area. Um, that's going to show you who is, who is practicing, where they're practicing, whether they take your insurance, if they accept insurance in that state. Um, and then usually they'll also have a, um, a blurb of what their um, main uh, area of care also is. Okay, a couple other questions that came in. Okay, can you just explain a little bit more about the benefits of turmeric? Yes, so, so turmeric is an anti-inflammatory. So turmeric as a food, um, usually used with, as a flavoring agent in, in things like curry. Curcumin is the, the active ingredient that has been most studied within turmeric, though there are many other um, phytonutrients that are in there as well. It works as, again, one of the most areas that it's been studied because it has multiple effects, but um, it has, it affects along the um, COX pathways um, to be anti-inflammatory, which is why it potentially interacts with other anti-inflammatory agents. Um, and then just effects in general. Depends on what, it, there are so many reasons why people use curcumin um, or in turmeric, but usually it's for um, joint pain and inflammation. There are demonstrated benefits with inflammation, um, but again, the, the biggest way to actually address why you have inflammation is supporting a healthy gut microbiome, reducing sleep, um, and being physically active, if that's, if that's what you're using it for. Awesome. All right, this one is um, probably our last question for the top of the hour. What is the research, um, or can you maybe just guide us to some research on CBD and marijuana? Oh, always a fun question, yes. Um, so I can guide <laughs> you to that research um, because a part of, part of this is, it's something that comes up because uh, a lot of the evidence we don't necessarily have all of it yet. It also depends on why um, CBD or cannabis are being utilized, whether that's for um, appetite support or whether that's for inflammation, stress, mood. There are so many, that's, that's the beautiful thing um, and challenging thing about herbal medicine um, or botanical medicine is that, be, and, and food as medicine, because there are so many phytonutrients that are within each of these plants, they can be used for a broad array of reasons. So I can find, I'm, I'm happy to uh, share some resources on some of the safety aspects of it, where we're at um, within cannabis research in, in cancer. Um, but just know that it all depends, I'm gonna say it all depends, <laughs> because it depends on why it's being used in the first place. Okay, yeah. I think that makes sense and that's yeah. fair. Um, so thank you so much. And this you. is all the time we have for questions. Uh, if we didn't get to your question, please be patient, but thank you so much. Thank you so much. All right, friends, we just want to say thank you again to our premier sponsor, Castle Biosciences. Um, just so you know a little more about Castle, if you haven't met them yet, Kat here, if you want to just turn around and wave, 
She is here in the back. You can find her after the sessions and um, just kind of throughout the day. You can chat with her. And of course, later today during their roundtable, um, they will be, she will be here running that. But Castle Biosciences develops and commercializes diagnostic and prognostic tests for dermatologic cancers. Their tests, um, their tests provide clinically actionable tumor-specific genomic information to enable more accurate treatment plan decisions. They believe that the traditional approach to developing a treatment for dermatologic cancers um, using clinical and pathology factors alone is inadequate and can be improved by incorporating personalized genomic information. So we're so grateful for them. We're grateful for the information that we glean from our castle diagnostic tests. Um, next up, after the break, in about eight minutes, roughly, if, if we're being very exact, is Ann Osborne's session, Finding Wellness Through Meditation. So for now, take a quick minute. Um, we will see you after the break. Thank you so much for joining us today on the I Believe podcast, brought to you by Castle Biosciences. Please be sure to subscribe, and if you're so inclined, send this episode over to friends, family, and share on your social media to help spread awareness around OM. If you have a moment, Leave us a brief review or consider making a donation to the links in the show notes to keep our podcast going. Feel free to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Acure Insight. We'll see you next time on the I Believe podcast.